Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. Today's episode is all about high school, growing up, being young, all of that fun stuff. Sure, okay. And earlier this very same day, we found out that a new Linkin Park song had been released, Mm. which is impressive considering... That the singer is not alive. Yes. And that led into you telling me about your relationship with Linkin Park. And I think it was very interesting. And I'd like you to share that with our listeners. My relationship with Linkin Park. Um, I mean, I guess what you're referring to is that I consider Linkin Park the the band that like reflected my emotional maturity at each like each time an album came out it had a certain like emotional feel to it right like mm-hmm. linkin park is definitely a band that like puts their heart right out in their sleep on yeah, their sleeve for sure or right out on the stage so each time a linkin park album came out it would have the same kind of emotional like stew that i had at that point <laughs> in my life yeah you know, and the fun thing about that was I, as I matured and kind of got less angsty or like shifted my angstiness, Linkin Park shifted too and became maybe more hopeful, more like I can do things. Yeah. I can be active. Less wallowy. Yeah. And it's funny to me that I feel that way about Linkin Park, especially some of their later stuff. Like it, I, it really resonates. One more light resonated so hard with me. And I know that a lot of Linkin Park fans didn't love their later work. Yeah. Or there were not, maybe not a lot of them, but there were definitely Linkin Park fans who then were like, oh, sellouts, you know, you sold out. This isn't the right music. You know, this isn't the music that you made anymore. No, it wasn't because they grew up. They evolved. Yes, they became, you know, they, they moved on to a different point in their emotional life. And the people who just wanted them to continue doing the same, like, angry Meteora stuff, like, those people were actually kind of stuck in their emotional development. Like, when you listen yeah. to a band who has evolved and you're like, angry that they aren't still doing the same things they did 20 years before. I wonder how many people stop and think, what does that say about me? Yeah, you know? that's interesting. And when you think about like bands with longevity, right? Like the Beatles come to mind. When you listen to the Beatles from the beginning when they were like, you know, bubblegum pop to the end when they, you know, had all of that like like sitar and, you know, they were a totally different animal and there were so many different things in between. And I think they, you know, they had the same thing. People still complained like, oh, well, it's different now. Like, yeah, it is. They're different people now. (laughs) It's interesting you mentioned that for Linkin Park because when I think of the kind of people who would say, oh, they changed, I picture like... Gamer Gator guys on Reddit, you know, like sure. those kind of guys who are very clearly emotionally stunted incels 
that kind of people who just like, yeah, they, like they want to stay as teenagers, even though they're now 40. And not just teenagers, but like angry teenagers who don't know how to deal with their emotions. Like yeah, that, that they lash only, out at everyone. Right, their only way of handling emotional feelings and big, big things internally is to scream and shout and smash things. Oh, are you having a big feeling? Yes, right? <laughs> No, it, it's interesting. And and it also, like, w- you know, part of what we were talking about was that how sad I am now knowing that I will continue my emotional development as I move through my life. But because Chester Bennington has died, Linkin Park is not going to continue evolving with me. And so I've lost a piece of, like, my emotional expression. Like, yeah. I don't know... I, you know, I don't know. They might not have, we might not have continued to evolve together, but like it was a good 20 years of yeah. me growing up alongside Linkin Park. And it kind of makes me sad to not know, like, I'm not going to have the soundtrack to my emotional development continuing through my life. And Unless that makes you me find sad. someone else. Yeah. I mean, and I have other things, but like Linkin Park just so clearly reflects me at each of those like different points. And it made me think about, folks who really felt emotionally collect- connected to Nirvana. Yeah. Who I I was not like I knew Nirvana. I had heard some of the songs on the radio. Like I liked them fine, but I wasn't like bonded to them. I have a brother who was. And then when Kurt Cobain died, like they lost that emotional soundtrack as well. And it you know, it gave me a little bit of like, I don't know, insight into that especially since like the brother that i have who was that connected with them um it was very early like he was a teenager at the time and so like that's i don't know that was i imagine that was very difficult yeah so are you gonna tie this into the movie (laughs) (gasps) that's a setup no i'm just messing with you oh my gosh So let me tie this into the movie. Oh, let's talk about movies then. Yes. This week we are talking about a movie called School Spirit from 2019. And the thing that I picked up on very quickly, like it is not hidden in this movie, is that this is essentially based on the framework of the movie The Breakfast Club. Yeah, very much. Yeah, which also kind of, you know, is one of those cultural, emotional touchstones in my life, you know. It's a Gen X thing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's that's also, you know, not just musical connections and soundtracks, but The Breakfast Club is one of those movies that reflects who I was at certain points in, in time. Yeah. Because um, you wore flannel in high school. I did wear flannel in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Jeans, yeah. t-shirt, flannel. I mean, I might as well. Club. I might as well have been living in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. So this, so school spirit is is very based on that. It's about you know weekend detention. You know, there's the eclectic group of people who are there, each one with their own hidden inner. Each one of us. Thing. The preppy, the jock, <laughs> the nerd. Exactly. Whatever. The we, serial we killer. each went on to be <laughs> serial killers in our own right. No, they didn't. It wasn't one of those. No. <laughs> so I, I thought that was fun. I enjoyed that. How did you feel about like watching a horror version remake of The Breakfast Club? Yeah, I think that's fun. It didn't push hard into that, though. It kind of like, that's where it started. But then it was just sort of them wandering around the halls and whatnot. It could have used more of that, I think. More... You know, more about what each of their issues were and how they played off of each other. 
I don't know if there was a lot of that. I mean, they hinted at all the things, you know, yeah. the the stoner girl's mom was an alcoholic and mm, yes. the bad boy, you know, had parents that like he felt weren't, I mean, he called them losers yeah. and he's like, I'm not going to be like them. I'm going to make something of myself. Like they all had their things. I think it's, it was interesting to see the differences in what those things were for these kids who are like millennials as opposed to when those kids were gen xers with boomer parents yeah the only one i remember is that uh the bad boy in the breakfast club was his issue was it his dad beat him and he was like you guys don't understand when he finally broke down and revealed his emotional issue yeah yeah and i mean i think i think the the overarching idea that especially when you are a teenager it is very hard to recognize that other teenagers are having their own individual issues in their lives. That, yeah, that, everyone's focused on themselves. Right, and they're, you know, like, everything internal in your own brain is so big, but then you look externally and you're just like, you just see the surface of people and you don't recognize that there is also equivalent turmoil happening internally yeah. for each of them. Well, because they... Uh, they are their click, you know, like, Mm -hmm. well, there's a nerd. I know, I know his deal because he's a nerd. Right, right. And, and, you know, I think that is a a brain development sort of a thing. You know, you, you are learning to categorize things because there's more information in the world than we can hold in our brains. Yeah. And we have to categorize things. That Um, makes sense. But how detrimental that can be to relationships. So can killing people be detrimental to relationships? It it did seem to have a bit of an impact. Yeah. So in this weekend detention, we had four bad kids and two good kids, I guess. Erica Yang was like the valedictorian girl and nobody knew why she was there. And she was like the main character of the Mm -hmm. whole thing. And then there was Brett, who was more of a mystery, just like some kid who, you know, nobody knew who never does anything bad. At one point, somebody refers to him as the preppy one. And he looked pretty preppy. He did. But also, I was surprised that none of them were like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Like, where do you fit in? Because it wasn't clearly defined like the rest of them were. Yeah, because then we had the the stoner girl and the bad boy and stoner nerdy boy. <laughs> yeah, Russ seemed to kind of ride that, like, there was the, the bad boy, Victor, and then there was Lizzie, who was like the bad girl slash stoner girl. Yeah. And then there was Russ, who was kind of on the other side, where he like overlapped with the stoner piece, but he was more the nerd rather than the bad yeah. boy. It was also interesting, I guess, to see how the cliques have changed. Yeah, a little bit. And how shift. some of that, like, there's hybrid cliques now that would not have existed when we were in high school. Yeah, at least not in our movies. <laughs> no, and also, like, I, I just think that there was more separation between the different groups like you didn't get a lot of like stoner jocks yeah i guess i mean there were some but i don't know i think they were so different i don't know maybe i'm totally wrong about that i'm just realizing you mentioned jocks and i was like they didn't have a jock and they didn't in detention but jason shows up later and he is the jock yes 
Yes, he did not have detention, but he definitely was one of the more unpleasant characters. Yeah, he wasn't great, but he got murdered. Yeah, honestly, I wasn't that sad. Yeah. So the gist of what's happening here is they're all in detention and they're talking, you know, like stories about, ooh, it's scary to be here in detention because I hear there's a school spirit get it school spirit Mm -hmm. who comes and kills bad kids and they're like what no that's silly but wait there is Mm -hmm. and it took me four lines in my notes before i wrote down exactly who it was yeah i think it was pretty obvious if for no other reason than we were getting backstory for everyone except (laughs) the person who it was. I did have some question for a little while that maybe that was going to be misdirect and it was going to end up being the vice principal. Yeah. Because vice principal Armstrong, like there were, there were signs that he was not entirely emotionally stable. He was unstable. And, I mean, it also turned out he was a raging alcoholic. And he was depressed and obsessing over his ex-wife. And Yes. Of- so he had his own issues, too, which I think, again, harkens back to the Breakfast Club because, you know, there was that going on. But they did, like, at the end, they sort of were like, well, you know, when Erica is talking about why she's in detention and how yeah. she basically tried to bribe him into changing her A minuses to A's so that she could <laughs> yes. have her perfect GPA. And she was like, "Ugh, it turns out he actually cares. Like, yeah. so they kind of rehumanized him after he had been murdered because like he didn't seem like a good person. And then it turns out like, oh, he, he was a good vice principal, I guess. He just had his own just emotional Just that issues. he abused students physically. Well, yeah. Yeah, there is that. That moment where he was grabbing him and then like was talking to himself like, nope, nope, I shouldn't be touching you. I'm the vice principal. That was it, one of the things where I was like, yeah, are you possessed? Yeah, like He seemed very like, you know, like Norman Bates trying to control his urges. Yes. So when Brett... And Vice Principal Armstrong went out into the hallway, like, after the Vice Principal realized, like, oh, Brett is not supposed to be here. Yeah. Something is wrong. What is the situation? And they go out in the hallway, and we don't see either one of them. And clearly, somebody ends up dead, and we don't know who. I was waiting, like... I thought I knew what was going to happen, but I'm like, it's also possible that Brett was a red herring all along and that he is dead. And now the vice principal is going after the rest of the kids. It's possible. They made an effort in the beginning of the movie. I noticed like every time to make sure that Victor was away every time someone died so that you always had the option of Victor or Brett. And I'm like, it's not him. I don't know why you're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Do a better job of convincing me. Yeah. I don't know what they could have done differently because that has to be, you know, it has to be so subtle. Yeah. It's weird because the way the story is presented from the beginning is you expect it to be supernatural. Like there's weird sounds happening in the ceiling and this Mm -hmm. zombie, they call it a zombie. It's just like somebody wearing an admiral outfit because that's their school mascot. Okay, I was just going to say, I don't know why they call it a zombie, but I do know why, because there's the whole story, there's the lore of the school, that there was a teacher who, they dumped a bucket of water on her, and she had a heart attack and died. So then, instead of anybody telling, you know, like that, somehow that was done in a place where the kids who did it could just like hide her body in the basement. and, And they put her in the admiral costume. 
Uh, yeah, I don't, it was weird. And yeah, so, so theoretically it was this teacher who had been kind of accidentally murdered and then like disrespectfully hidden away. Yeah. Who was coming back and, and haunting the bad kids. Yeah. So, and we see things where we're like, ooh, you know, it must be supernatural. But they didn't do a really convincing job of that. It was very quickly obvious to me that like, oh, Mm-mm. there's no ghost here. This Mm-mm. is this is Brett. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I, at no point was I truly convinced that there was anything supernatural happening. I feel like they should have tried harder on that. Well, I think part of it, like, I think there were things that they tried to do. Like, they tried to have the Admiral costume, like, drifting by in the background, where it was supposed to look sort of incorporeal, but it never did. Like, I always was like, oh, no, that, that's, like, that's a thing. That, that's a solid thing in the real world. Then the other thing I think they tried to have us think, like, ooh, the ghost is here, is there were streamers (laughs) everywhere in this school. Yeah. And then it was decorated. I mean, it was, but also like it was super obvious <laughs> that those streamers were there for you to see like gusts of wind mm-hmm. and think, oh, ooh, spooky. Ooh. But it never felt spooky. I just was always like, oh, the AC kicked on or like <laughs> someone turned a fan on in the hallway so yeah. that the streamers would move. So I would think there was maybe a ghost. Like, yeah. it didn't work for me. Yeah. I would like to say that when Jason gets killed, he gets defeated. And I wrote that in my notes. Boo. But that's what happened. Boo. How can you boo something that really happened? And that is exactly how swords work, is if you swing one, it will just zip right through bone and sever things. And then the person will fall over. Yeah. 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 It was a lightsaber. Uh, Exactly. Yes. There was that one. The one... That really got me because I have been a teacher and I have always had this like oh yeah innate fear of this tool that I was expected to use regularly as a teacher. Russ, the first kid to die from this group of people, like there's a little like yeah the little prologue where there's ex- you know kids we don't know who go missing, but the first kid from this group who are at detention who dies is Russ, and he has his head cut off with that like big paper cutter machine that <laughs> that is in every single teacher's lounge, yeah and I, I literally cannot look at one of those or imagine using one of those without like having this like internal, oh, my fingers are about to get cut off feeling. Yeah. And ironically, when the zombie paper cutted his neck, it actually took two or three yes, cuts three, to do it. Three cuts. Which is funny because the sword through the feet, apparently no problem. But the no. paper cutter, the thing that definitely is heavy, it's sharp, it's, it's going to go through things. It might actually take a person's head off, but I mean, the sword, no way. It probably wasn't maintained <laughs> as sharply as it should True. have been. That was a commentary on school supplies. Yes. And, you know, you you very quickly learn for whichever paper cutter you are using regularly, how many sheets of paper it can actually cut through yeah. without getting hung up in the middle. <laughs> how and many then, bones? Yeah, exactly. And, and like leaving, you know, if you have to u- cut three times like that, like that's a jagged cut. That's not a nice, neat, like Mm-mm. cut that paper in half. Kind no, of that's thing. the kind of cut you're going to have to tape the guy's head back on at the end of the movie. Know, that was so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this school is called Hellbrook, which was fun. It's a little on the nose, if you ask me. Indeed. 
So, yeah, at the end of the movie, Russ's head is taped back on because the murderer, it's Brett. What? Has set up a classroom, or maybe it was already set up. He said he grew up. His mom kept him in there or something. I don't know. His mom, anyway, was the teacher that was accidentally killed. And he's got her body at the head of the class in this hidden classroom that's in a secret room in the school. And... As students, he has the bodies of all these people he's killed. And Mm -hmm. so he had to take the head back on, obviously. Right. And he's got Erica tied up. And she turns the tables on him. And yay, it's a win. But what what was almost a twist that was sounding interesting. And like Mm -hmm. this movie could have, if this had happened much earlier, it could have had a whole second act that went nuts. Mm -hmm. Is Erica... You know, her whole thing was that she had the, she wanted her grades changed. She bribed for grade change and she's like telling him how, you know, you think my life's so easy. I'm so special. And this is the line. She says, those grades were literally life or death to me. And I'm like, what? You know, because she said like, you think my parents are all supportive or whatever. Those grades were literally life and death. I'm like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. And I wanted some flashbacks about how awful and terrifying her parents were and that she turns out to be some raging psycho because of that and kills him and, you know, proceeds on into this whole mess. But she doesn't. She just has her happy victory and whatever. Well, except she doesn't. Like, she turns from being the person, like, you watch her the whole movie and you're like, oh, she's this, like, yeah perfect angel. She messed up this one time out of desperation, whatever. Like, she's planning to go to Harvard. And toward the end, it all starts coming out where she's like, I don't care about going to Harvard. I just wanted to go somewhere. And, like, that was the thing. All of that stuff felt like it was feeding into this idea. Yes. But it didn't quite go there. And also the fact that she was like, this is not the first time I cheated. I cheat all the time. Like, she's like, I'm not a good student. I just know how to make sure that I get good grades. And it totally turned who yes. she was. It would, That was a good twist, even though it doesn't like change the movie. It was just an interesting character but twist. But it kind of it kind of did change the movie a little bit for me, mm. just a little, not entirely. And yeah. I don't think as much as they wanted it to. But like she went from being that heroine kind of character yeah. to really kind of being an anti-protagonist. Because, like, she finds herself trapped and she's like, all right, I want to do what I got to do. And she yeah. starts flirting with Brett and totally, like, feeding into his delusion so that yeah. she can get the sword and, like, get him, <laughs> yeah. you know, save herself. And the really cool part, this is the part that I thought was probably the best thing in the whole movie, was that at the end, when the fire department comes and they're like, what happened? You see her realize, this is how I get into Harvard. Uh-huh. Which, I mean, that is kind of what I was looking for, but I, yeah. I was expecting bigger. But yeah, that the fact that she twisted into this is all scheming and yeah. scary, it, that was good. She becomes a very different person than she has like, mm-hmm. we as the audience have been just as fooled as the rest of her classmates and yeah. her teachers. I thought that was good. Until the end. And that was Brett's whole thing, was that he kills the bad kids. There right. can't be bad kids. So he was like, oh my gosh, Erica, how could you end up in detention? That's so de- upsetting. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. But turns out she was very much a bad kid all along. Yeah. The whole Brett and his mother thing... Felt very forced to me. Yeah. I mean, that was crazy. The, like, that's not a realistic plot line. The point where I first was like, what? 
was when they're talking about this lore that is so strong and so prevalent that everyone in the school, mm-hmm. you know, knows about it. Like there is this teacher who runs around murdering bad kids. Yeah. And when they're telling the story, they're like, so this happened 10 years ago. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? Like, yeah, that way sort back of then. thing takes decades. Like, this is the thing where like two generations ago, this happened. And now we still talk about it. Yeah. 10 years ago. And I thought, that feels like a mistake in the writing. Like, why did they say that? <laughs> well, they had to say that because 10 years ago, 18-year-old Brett was eight years old. Yeah. Being homeschooled in the basement of the school his mom taught at that she was obsessive about. Yeah. The whole idea behind Brett supporting Erica was that his mother had taught him this like fervent loyalty to the school. Yes. (laughs) And Erica was the way he was going to get Hellbrook on the map. Yes. They would have their first student going to Harvard. Every single piece of that is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it was supposed to be, you know, kind of. I don't know about satirical, but satirical-ish, you know, like yeah. like not not a real thing, but a kind of hyped up reality. It was kind like of silly Scooby-Doo thing. level yeah. nonsense. And I think they were going for that sort of, yeah. but I don't know if they wanted us to laugh at it per se. Yeah, I mean, it just felt very forced and... Like, everything fit together too perfectly. Yeah. Which I I guess, I mean, that is kind of the slasher thing. It's always like, oh, but you didn't realize that that was my mom. And Uh therefore, I grew up all weird and lived in the basement and stuff. Also, like, if this teacher was so obsessed with this school and with the concept of good kids and bad kids that she, first of all, had that all that loyalty to the school, but also thought the school was so bad that she wasn't willing to put her own child in it mm-hmm. and hid him away in the basement. Yeah, that part's a little tricky to put together. Like, those things don't feel like they belong in the same brain. No, it's a, it's a little weird. I could buy more, and that is basically what they said, but... I could buy more that, you know, he was her kid, all going to school and whatever. I mean, he was eight. He wasn't going to high school. Right. And then when she died, like, he ran away so that he didn't have to, you know, live with step-parents or foster parents or whatever. Sure, that he put himself in the basement. Yeah, he went and lived in the school. He took his mom's body somehow and, like, put her in the basement and was just, like, there and worshiping her and that would be uh it's more believable it's still not believable (laughs) or that like the teen so the kids who accidentally killed her put her in the basement and he as an eight-year-old like runs away from his like mean aunt and uncle who keep him in the room under under the the stairs stairs, definitely absolutely and so he like runs away from them and like hides away in the basement and then finds his mom's body and that like breaks his brain like there are ways that that could have worked sort of Sort of. (laughs) Or just add a few more generations. Like, it's not actually his mom. It was his, like, grandma. Yeah. There's there's stuff. He's he's not one of the students. He's the student counselor who's been at this for 30 years. Sure. Or, I don't know, the vice principal. Yeah, I know. It all really gives this feeling, or how I ended up feeling about this movie, was that it was an entertaining story, but not a sophisticated story. No, it was not. And it sort of felt like I was watching a Goosebumps story. Yeah, this was like, a, it's just a teeny bopper yes. story, for sure. 
And it was unsophisticated enough that I could look at it and be like, this is kind of silly and funny. Like I found Mm -hmm. it humorous almost, but where I could see that someone maybe a little bit less emotionally developed, tying it back to the beginning. Or or someone who can relate more closely with that idea of being a teenager and feeling out of control in your own life and all of those things might actually feel this more intensely. Um, Especially if it's not even teenagers, but like that preteen like yeah they're like oh those teenagers are so cool i wish i could be like them right and and murder people this is so scary and as that i think it's a fun story i think it's good i think it's well done but as a grown-up story it's it's not great for kids that makes sense so i feel like i'm gonna just put this one right in the middle and give it three wads of gum stuck to the bottom of my table. I mean, it's it's good for what it is. It was not my favorite movie to watch. So, you know, my personal rating is lower, but it wasn't terrible. I didn't hate it. Okay. I do find that I don't have a lot to say about it, though. Sure. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's not something that's going to stick with me for any length of time. And it is that light, fluffy, teeny bopper horror. It really, it reminds me of the Fear Street movies that Netflix Mm. put out recently, which Mm -hmm. is exactly in that area. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put my personal spin into my ratings because it's my rating and give this two and a half wads of gum under the table out of five. Because I, you know, I did enjoy it. I especially like we talked about, really enjoyed Erica's twist at the end. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't change the movie, really, but it changes her. That was interesting. That was legitimately an interesting twist that made me go, ooh. Mm -hmm. And it takes what otherwise would have been a very generic, like, flat cardboard character, the kind of character you see a lot in these kinds (laughs) of horror movies, it turned her into a full-on character, whether you realized it through most of the movie or not. Well, and it took a very straightforward, typical standard ending. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the same things happened, but they felt very different Mm -hmm. with that. So I like that. Do you think it's an improvement on The Breakfast Club? No, (laughs) I do not. I mean, I suspect that in 2023, The Breakfast Club is full of very problematic issues, because I know all those old movies are, all those 80s movies. Yeah. But still, quality, though. Yeah. Well, and it's very different. Like, The Breakfast Club was not trying to be a horror movie. <laughs> no. It was It was definitely a let's, let's talk about our feelings kind of movie. Unless you're a vice principal, that was. It was horror for vice <laughs> yes, principals. Yes, it was. As most of those movies in the 80s were. Yeah, that's true. The vice principal and the principal were always like the epitome of bad guy. Yeah. That and the rich guy who wanted to stop. Who ties his sweater around his neck. Yes, and and whose father was interfering with the town being able to use the local ski hill, you know. Yeah. Boy, those were the days. when That doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) I mean, it still happens in real life, but it doesn't happen in movies anymore. No, and we don't address it in in that lighthearted way anymore. No, it's just not funny. If we talk about those kinds of things, we get a movie like The Menu, not not The Breakfast Club. The Menu was very funny, though. Fight the horror of a world gone mad. 
So because we are watching a movie about kids who are in detention and, you know, the whole school thing, I'm going to use this week's hot political tip to talk about um, education funding. We should have that. And um, to remind people that when you are reaching out to your elected officials, you should definitely be talking to them about the dangers of so-called school choice, which, you know, that's the way they want to spin it. It's like, oh, everyone will get choice and can go to the best possible school when in fact it's just another way for rich people to siphon money away from the average person and into their own pockets. And I I think we all need to be reminding our elected officials, especially any local elected officials or state-level officials who you might be able to communicate with who have recently become the chair of the Public Education Committee for the state of Texas, House just... You know, hint, hint. Very specific. House District 54. This is on you guys. We need to be reminding them that when we pay taxes into public funds, we expect those public funds to be used in public public schools for the general public and not to be then handed off to private schools, which don't have to accept students that they don't want to accept, who don't have to provide special education services according to federal law, who don't have to basically teach any of the things that they don't want to teach. By using school vouchers, we are essentially taking tax money giving it to private schools, and then saying, you only have to teach the kids you want to teach, and you only have to teach them what you want to teach them. And that is handing power over to people who have proven that they cannot be trusted with that level of power. Yeah. So, you know, it is a dangerous shift in curriculum and control. And when you control education, you control the future of the country. And so it is not okay for us to let a small extremist group of people control the education in Texas or in our country. So make sure you're talking to your state and federal level um, and local level politicians about the need for publicly funded public schools. Yeah, I just find it so infuriating how many ways there are that rich people siphon the money from poor people. Like, Mm -hmm. they're already rich. They're rich because their daddies gave them money, Mm -hmm. and then they invested it in the stock market, which is pretend money, and they became quadrillionaires. They already have money that could be used to send their kids to any school Mm -hmm. they want to send them to. But they're like, you know what? I don't want to have to pay for that. No, I got to get some from the little people. Everyone else gets to go to school for free, but I don't want to go to that school. Ew. There's a zombie there that kills all the bad kids, (laughs) and my kids are definitely the bad kids. (laughs) Yeah. So... Education funding is a super important issue, and it I, I think a lot of people don't realize how directly it ties into the future of the country, not just the future of each child who goes through school and how, you know, what they learn and what they're able to do with their lives, but whoever is controlling curriculum is controlling how history and today will be discussed in the future. And that that is huge. Florida libraries. Yeah. So with that said, sigh. Sigh. But not sigh for us. No. We get to go on vacation. 
We will be gone for a week, and you will miss us so much because you will not be getting a podcast next week. Sad. But we will be back the week after that with yet another horror movie review where we talk about stuff we don't know anything about. See you guys in two weeks. Bye. Don't forget to call your elected representatives. We're just gonna scoo- scoo- you. What did I tell you about the scooching? <laughs> Please, children, scooch closer. Don't make me tell you again about the scooching. You in the red, chop chop. Hmm.